and I think if anything, the click moment was like when I graduated from college and I was like, I can't have this like student title anymore. Like I have to like choose something and have a brand with it. Um, and ultimately I went back to my articles and I was like, what like really drove me to like write? Cause like writing was not natural to me. Like I literally remember like sophomore year, my high school, like my teacher hated me first of all, but she was like, <laughs> you are such an awkward person that I can tell through your writing that you're awkward. Like that is how awkward you are. Wow. And I was like, damn, <laughs> like, that's harsh. Wow. And like wow. would nickname me like the awkward little bean. Cause like I was super shy in high school and middle school. Like I was the kid that like people didn't even know I was in their classes kind of thing. Like I was so quiet. And that like did a total 180 and now like, you know, I host events and I'm, I'm super social, but I think that for me uh, with my writing, like writing doesn't come naturally to me. And it was like, what pushed me to do something that didn't even come naturally to me? Like, I just wanted to share my voice so much about the subject that I was willing to do like the one thing that I didn't necessarily like as much. And that's kind of like where I got to where I am now and why I chose the certain subjects that I've decided to kind of build my brand around. This week on the Young and Dumb podcast, we have Natalie from Cali. She's conquered USC, life abroad, and now she's conquered LinkedIn. At only 21 years old, she's become LinkedIn's top youth voice twice. Her influence knows no bounds, and to top it off, she's killing it as a content marketer for Studio 71. With an open mind and a diverse skill set, we have no worries that Natalie's going to take over. So this week, we learn to open with Natalie. Open. She travels the world, and one thing she always keeps is an open mind, so that not only she can experience other people's cultures, but then she can learn from them. Optimistic. She always brings a positive mindset. Personable is how she's able to kill it on LinkedIn. She found a way to turn a professional platform into a way to connect with others. Enthusiastic for the future. She doesn't know what's going to happen, but she's excited for it. Natural, a natural connector. She loves to learn about people and tell her own stories. That's probably why she has over 300,000 followers on LinkedIn. This week, we keep an open mind with... Natalie. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Young and Dumb podcast with your co-hosts Justin and Gary. We're back again with number 64. That's right, episode 64. And we have a special guest from the West Coast repping the USC Trojans. We have Natalie on board with us today. Natalie, say what's up to the people. What's up, everybody? <laughs> Super glad to have you on board. Um, and you have a lot to share with us. So you know what? We're going to do this the young and dumb way. Waste no more time. Get right into it. Let us know who you are and what's your story. Totally. Yeah. So like you mentioned, Natalie Riso, West Coast, raised, went to college, still here. Clearly, there's something about the water here. Um, but yeah, no, I started... Started college, I actually was going to UC Irvine, which is also on the West Coast, um, but started going there, didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, knew like roughly I wanted to do business or something. Um, so I got this like one internship that was like, like I think my stepdad helped me get it. It was one of those where you're just like, just give me anything. And they were like, hey, you'll go straight for the CEO and you can write on LinkedIn as well. And I was like, I don't understand what this is, but like, sure, let's just like do it. Um, and so I started to do that. And one of my posts that summer went viral for what viral was at the time. And I got contacted by the head millennials editor of LinkedIn, which believe it or not, is actually a thing. 
Um, but <laughs> they contacted me and they were like, hey, we have this campus editor program. Would you want to be a part of it? Like I said, I had like no work experience. I was like, sure, yeah, let's take it. Like I'll take anything at this point. Um, turned out to be the best decision I think I've made. Um, so I was one of the first campus editors. I ended up writing more on the platform and actually built quite a following on it. Um, I stopped being a campus editor in 2017 so that I could go study abroad in Hong Kong, which was also a great decision. Mm -hmm. Learned a ton uh, about myself, but also about the entertainment industry, which is what I work in right now. Um, and basically kind of kept doing the LinkedIn stuff after that. So now I regularly speak on LinkedIn. I've hosted events uh, on LinkedIn at General Assemblies, WeWorks, the Staples Center. Um, I'm also involved in a lot of the Gen Z stuff on LinkedIn. So we're doing a lot of public speaking on that, helping out with a lot of humanitarian organizations. And then on top of all that, I'm a content marketing strategist at Studio 71. So I run all of our socials. Um, I do all of the strategy and execution for that. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. That's awesome. And like you said, you do so many things. It's hard to kind of say that you uh -huh. do one thing, so to say. And I want to really dive deep on that, especially your college experience in terms of not necessarily knowing what you wanted to do. Um, was there ever like an epiphany moment of, oh, I really wanted to do this. And that's kind of how your career started. Or was it kind of just taking saying yes and tasting as many things as possible until something really clicked? I mean, I think it's hard because I think a lot of things clicked. Like I think, you know, like in college, uh, originally I wanted to work for tech companies. So I ended up running a tech incubator at USC, which was a great experience. And I still love tech and I still love entrepreneurship. Um, and then I pivoted and started working for Variety Magazine and did editorial for them while I was in Hong Kong. And I did US-China relations and I did all this stuff and it all felt like it clicked. And I think, you know, I've been talking a lot to some of the people who, have just started to see my content and they will look at like my profile and they'll be like, you had so many jobs in so many areas. Like, I don't know what your brand is. Um, and I think if anything, the click moment was like when I graduated from college and I was like, I can't have this like student title anymore. Like I have to like choose something and have a brand with it. Um, and ultimately I went back to my articles and I was like, what like really drove me to like write? Cause like writing was not natural to me. Like I literally remember like sophomore year of my high school, like my teacher hated me first of all, but she was like, <laughs> you are such an awkward person that I can tell through your writing that you're awkward. Like that is how awkward you are. And I was like, damn, <laughs> like, that's harsh. Wow. And like wow. would nickname me like the awkward little bean. Cause like I was super shy in high school and middle school. Like I was the kid that like people didn't even know I was in their classes kind of thing. Like I was so quiet. And that like did a total 180. And now like, you know, I host events and I'm, I'm super social. But I think that for me, uh, with my writing, like writing doesn't come naturally to me. And it was like, what pushed me to do something that didn't even come naturally to me? Like, I just wanted to share my voice so much about the subject that I was willing to do like the one thing that I didn't necessarily like as much. And that's kind of like where I got to where I am now and why I chose the certain subjects that I've decided to kind of build my brand around. Yeah, no, that's incredible. Um, and I feel like there's, especially when you told your story, there's a, a lot of similarities um, with me personally. Um, I, when I went to college, I knew that I wanted to do business, just didn't know what. In high school, even I hated writing. Um, I can't say the same now, um, <laughs> what I do, but, um, and I also went abroad um, and we'll touch upon your, your abroad experience later. But um, what I wanted to get into now is that you were, 
um, your influence on LinkedIn is monumental in the sense that you were a pioneer for millennials and Gen Z um, alike all around the world. Tell me what your influence has um, allowed you to do. Like what type of feedback have you gotten from being able to connect with so many people online? Yeah, that that has grown to a level that I never thought was gonna happen. Like, like I mentioned, like I started writing on LinkedIn because there was literally like the articles the CEO dismissed for her own LinkedIn. And they were like, you can put these on your profile if you want, you know? Like mm -hmm. I never viewed it as a viable platform. Um, and now I think I'm at like three, I think I'm just below like 340,000 followers. So now it's like, yeah, it's like going to a level that I never thought was even possible. Um, but it was one of those things where I think, um, for me with the writing and with, um, kind of going forward with it, um, it was something that I didn't realize the impact of it until I started getting like real like DMS and like messages and stuff like that. Cause even in the early days, like honestly, LinkedIn used to be this like old white dude platform. Like everyone kind of knew that. <laughs> Like real talk, like let's yeah, talk about it. it. It was this old conservative, like everybody, anytime I was even remotely controversial, and I mean like remotely, like I people would come out of the woodworks for me and like say like I need to get off, kicked off the platform and like all this stuff. Wow. But it was one of those things where I kept pushing it because A, I really believed in a lot of the stuff I talk about. So like I talk about like diverse leadership or like, you know, it was a lot of things that I witnessed firsthand of working at a tech incubator and there not being a lot of women there and being like, hey, like, this is something we should like talk about. Like, why aren't we talking about kind of the the pipeline problem that we have? Um, but honestly, like the biggest feedback that I've received and the best message I ever received was I was on a different podcast um, and he messaged me afterwards and he sent me a photo of his daughter uh, and her vision board and how I was a picture on her vision board. And like, I was someone that like young girls were aspiring to be. And I think that was the moment that I realized like, like, holy shit, like I'm impacting people, like really impacting people. Uh -huh. Like I looked up to so many YouTubers and so many content creators as a kid. Cause I was just like a YouTube kid um, that I never thought like I would be one of those people that people looked up to and were like, Hey, we should talk about this. And like, I'm starting a club at my university to talk more about, you know, what you're writing about and stuff like that. That's when I think I really kind of was like, wow, like this is, this is something more than just kind of what I'm doing. That's really interesting. Cause like, I guess you would be one of the first people that have kind of grown up watching YouTube, so to say, and then now you've kind of become the content creator yourself. So what would you say is kind of the difference between this side of the, the content creation world rather than the consumer side? Yeah, I think that that's something that a lot of people are confused about. Cause like, even when I came to Studio 71 and they, they knew of my LinkedIn and they knew that I had like a following and Studio 71, to give context, used to be uh, an MCN, and now we're more of like a media company. And MCN is a multi-channel network, so it's a talent agency for YouTubers. Um, so like we are one of the biggest sponsors at, e at VidCon, like we're very in that space. Um, and they were kind of like, oh, so you know how to like use After Effects and like use all these programs. And I was like, no, I'm like a journalist. Like I like write articles, <laughs> like I can work like mad Photoshop, but that's about it, you know? Um, and I'm learning all that stuff right now with my current job. But I think it was one of those things where the biggest difference a lot of times is the topics, but also like how you approach those topics. 
So like the most controversial article I ever wrote was on the American ego. Um, and it came from, I actually lived with international students um, for a decent portion of my college experience, which is great. And I highly recommend it if students are listening. Um, but one of the things that one of my roommates was noticing that was that like American business classes kind of promoted this idea of like hustle and like Gary Vee, like you should like self-awareness and you should be proud of yourself. And it like turned her off. And I, I wrote about that, but I had to write from both perspectives. And writing allows you to really carefully articulate certain concepts and like nitpick at your at your writing and whatnot um, that YouTubers don't get a chance to get to do. And so I think a lot of times YouTubers and video creators, they really have to carefully think about their content before creating it. They can't go back and edit. They can't go back and do all those things. Um, so from a content creator sort of perspective, like the content that I create is much more carefully um, chosen and like goes through revisions and it's a much different process than becoming like a YouTuber. Now, I definitely understand that, um, especially with uh, now that I've gotten into a little bit of content creation for um, Get Your Grind Up and everything with uh, our five key Friday segments um, and the blogs that I've been doing recently, I can, I've noticed what you're saying right there, the the difference in what type of content that you put out, how when I start to make a video, I have to be very careful about what I say because once I start, I can't t take out a little segment and then switch it around <laughs> and piece it back in because it just doesn't flow. You completely tear down the flow and with the writing, you can, I feel like, you know, kind of like a wizard when I write, you know, like you have <laughs> so much power over what I do and like with the words that you choose, it completely changes the com complex of things. Um, but I want to get into a little more, I want to shift this and get into your college experience a little more. Um, tell me about your abroad experience being in Hong Kong. Um, I mean, I went to, I visited China, great. I didn't get to go to Hong Kong, but it's definitely a place I wanted to know. Um, and I, of course I have my own uh, study abroad experiences, but I want to know what it's like to live in Asia in a study abroad uh, sense. Yeah, so I, to give context, I did do US-China journalism before I went to Hong Kong. So I didn't go in blind, like I knew the culture decently well, I knew what languages they spoke, I knew um, variety as well. So I went to the film festivals as a part of variety, um, which helped me a lot in terms of my study abroad experience, because then you get to see your industry in a different area. And that was beyond fascinating, um, especially since Asia has completely different revenue streams. Like the whole technicality and the whole way the industry is set up is very different. Um, but yeah, no, Hong Kong is my favorite place on earth by far. Like it beats the West Coast. I know I'm I'm always staying in the West Coast, but <laughs> Hong Kong beats it. Um, the food, the culture. And I think what's interesting, and I was talking to a friend about this, is the parts I was like, I had culture shock about the parts I was surprised about were not our differences, but our similarities. Like it was because I knew the differences. I had studied the differences. I'm totally fine eating chicken feet at a dim sum restaurant. Like that's not weird to me. Um, but I think what was weird was like they had um, basically like the 4th of July, but for China. Um, and they had all these fireworks. And I was like, man, this feels like 4th of July. Like this feels like something America would do. Um, in terms of like how they were talking about their country and how prideful they were. Um, and I think it really helped me in terms of breaking down this stereotype, like Asia and the West are so remarkably different when there are like a lot of similarities when you break it down to like the raw emotion of how we kind of operate within our lives. 
Um, so I have mad respect now um, for a lot of things that are within Chinese culture and whatnot. And it was honestly such a good experience. Like, like probably the best thing I did in college was studying abroad. <laughs> I feel like that, that's what everyone says, whether it's you, Gary, anyone it's else true. that we've had on to the true. podcast. I didn't get to study abroad, unfortunately, but um, from what I hear, it's it's amazing. But with that, like you spoke about how you you learned about the culture beforehand and the culture shock really was that people are human and we all have these similar human like identities, whether you're from Asia, whether from the States, the Europe, whatever it may be, we're all human when it comes down to it. And um, I feel like that's what you kind of realize when you come and you go to different countries and you study abroad, et cetera. Did did studying abroad change your perspective at all in terms of like what you felt towards the U.S.? Because like you said, you stayed with a lot of international students. You got a little bit of that perspective, but living in Asia is different than living with someone from Asia. Yeah, totally. Um, and I, I think it was interesting because I went my fall, my senior year. So last fall, 2017. Um, and during that we had the Las Vegas shooting. We had a shooting scare at USC. We had Trump as our president. Like we had so many things that it was weird that my friends would come to me because very few of my friends were American. Uh, my friends would come to me and I was like their go-to person to be like, so do you worry about school shootings? So do you like, you know, worry that Trump's president? What do you feel about this? Like I was sort of their soundboard to ask all these questions. Um, and I think it was interesting to see how other people view America um, and especially around like politics and stuff like that. Um, because I mean, people knew that, you know, I was more liberal just in terms of the fact that I was always promoting diversity and I was always promoting these certain things. Um, but I had never gotten like that level of like, you need to like answer all of our questions about your administration and answer for your country. Um, and I think, you know, it was helpful that I did know a lot. Um, I think there were some Americans that felt really overwhelmed and were like, I just, I just like don't know like what, what to answer with. Um, I think though that I had always had a pretty like outward looking in view of it. Cause even in high school, I studied abroad. So like in high school, I took a summer, uh, after my freshman year and studied at Oxford University. And then I also studied before my senior year at Columbia University with all international students. So that's been like kind of a theme throughout my whole life of I'm always surrounding myself with people who are critical of my own culture. And um, especially like white American culture, I found I was like really critical of, um, but in a good way, in a way of like, I wanted it to be better. And I wanted more people to kind of realize certain aspects of how they were being perceived. Mm -hmm. And I, I can definitely see that. And with all that you've learned throughout your various um, ventures abroad, what has that done for you in the office now? Um, like, what has have you taken um, that you've applied to your everyday life or your, even just your um, your job? And how does how has that shaped what you do? Yeah. So there's kind of two parts of that. One is like the actual industry knowledge. So like we have worked with a couple Chinese companies here um, and I'm able to speak on the gravitas of certain Chinese conglomerates and like, you know, talk about how they work because it is very different. Um, even when I was at Variety, I remember there were some pitch calls that I would sit in on where the person they're pitching to was in Asia and I was able to explain like, hey, they're gonna negotiate differently. This is how we need to approach this. Um, so just the cultural understanding is really helpful. 
Um, but in terms of also going into it, we are a very global company here. Um, so even though I run the US socials, I have to be very aware of how other influencers are perceived in different countries, how, you know, if I post something, it needs to be sensitive to other cultures as well, because I work at a very liberal company. We have very liberal stances. We're very LGBT friendly. We're very, you know, all sorts of things. Um, so that is really important that I just instinctually can know like, hey, this caption's not gonna work, this caption is gonna work. Um, and then in terms of talking to people and sort of just the interpersonal stuff, um, I think that I've been really drawn to companies that have been open about allowing people to come in from different countries. And my own boss is from India. She is here on a visa. I think that's dope. I want to work more for people like that. Um, just because I think there's certain lessons that you have from immigrants that you just don't necessarily get from people who are born here. Um, and you also get to see different work ethics. So I'm really trying to surround myself with people that have a varying levels of work ethic, ethics. Good Lord. Um, so like I had a roommate in college who was from Spain and would always be like, Natalie, you work too much. You need to, you need to relax more. You need to sip your wine and, you know, socialize. And she was very Spanish in that regard. Um, and then, you know, I have friends who are from certain Asian countries and they're like, you don't work hard enough. Like you don't know what hard working is, you know? And it's like this very different perspective, but I like having all those different perspectives in my life. I think that allows me to really see things um, from kind of an outside perspective and kind of gain different get different insights and have different kind of information points. Yeah, it's so in uh, interesting in terms of getting to know people from either even different states in the U.S. or different countries mm -hmm. in the, around the world. Like when I moved from Connecticut down to Florida, like it's a lot slower paced than the Northeast. <laughs> and I'm just like, like I'll ask someone a question like, hey, let's get this done today. And then I'll get a response like three days later. And I'm like, this is this is not how the Northeast works because since we're just so close to New York, it kind of bleeds into where both myself and Gary are from. Um, but yeah, that's crazy how you're able to surround yourself, whether it's international students, like studying abroad, everything like that. Yeah, we actually had a funny instance with one of the interns because one of the interns was from New York and he came in in like a sport coat and we were like, oh no, fam, like you can wear like your pants. <laughs> It's totally fine. You're good. You don't need to do this again. Uh, I need to work for your company. <laughs> I'm wearing jeans right now. Like I wear jeans and J's every day. That's so it's, it's I, I interned at an insurance company last summer and it was just straight suit and tie every single day. And I wanted to kill myself. Like it was just, <laughs> oh my God. I, I've I never it. worn a suit and tie to work like ever, like only in interviews. That's what the only time I've ever worn it. But so that's like also entertainment. Yeah, I feel so restricted wearing it but i like it though like i like getting all dressed up and stuff like if you i'm gonna pull it down oh you can't even see it i have like my 20 ties right there just hanging up on my little tie rack just ready for for work next week like i love dressing up but you no know, it's all about the preference i wish people can know or whatever they want but i'm gonna use this moment to transition into our next segment um and i want you to picture your entire journey um, so from those awkward middle school days all the way up until now, um, I want to take your journey and turn it into a loading bar. Yeah. From zero to a hundred percent. Where do you feel like you are right now on your loading bar? Like 20, 20. like, okay. like real, like, cause I think I have had, uh, I don't want to say extraordinary, but not ordinary kind of success route 
Um, so I'm not going to downplay that. Um, I don't, you know, I walk into a room and people say like, oh, wow, you know, you got the LinkedIn top voice twice and all that kind of stuff, um, which I think is cool. But I think like even today, I was telling you guys before we started recording, like I'm working on proposals and I'm working on so many things to get projects going in the future that I feel like I'm still at a stage in my life where I'm just preparing so that I can go do dope shit like later on kind of thing. I feel like I'm still in that stage. Mm. Um, so I don't think I'm even close to the 50% mark yet, um, which is very accurate considering I'm 21 and I just said I'm 20% the way there. <laughs> but um, no, I, I feel like I set myself up well and now it's really time to start executing. Okay, so tell me, tell me what 100% looks like. I think 100% See, that's hard because I don't think about end goal a lot. I really think about process. Um, and I think I had this conversation with my dad actually the other day um, because somebody asked me, they were like, what's your dream role? And I was like, I don't know if I have a dream role. Like, I think I want to do dope shit. Like, I think I want <laughs> to continue doing dope stuff. Because I think the idea, there's like a worry in me that like, you know, one day I'll be like the CEO of some company. And then I'm like, but what now? You know, like mm -hmm. I think the the 100% is I go to my grave doing dope stuff. Um, and I think that, you know, that's something that's ingrained in me from my parents, from everybody. But I just don't think that I have that 100%. I think that 100% is like a I want to stay that 100% for like 20 years. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> I don't want that to end because I feel like 100% means end. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And like I say in almost every episode now, it seems to be such a recurring theme with anyone that we get onto the podcast. It's like, I don't even think I'll ever reach 100% because we're always striving for more, whether it's doing dope shit like you or building up another company, whatever it may be. Um, but with that, let's move on to our favorite part of the interview, the deep thinking question. So are you ready, Natalie? I feel ready. The suspense is real. <laughs> All right, so Let's question number one, let's imagine 100 years from now, um, you're sitting down and you're just told that it's your last day on earth and you've accomplished everything that you've ever wanted to. You've done all the dopest shit in the world, but everything that you've ever done has disappeared and you get to pick three things that you want to be remembered for. What are those three things? Uh, first is definitely what I gave back to my family. Um, I think my family made a lot of sacrifices in order for me to get where I am now, whether it's helping me pay for college, whether it's moral support, whether it's, you know, helping me with my kindergarten homework. Um, like family is huge to me. And I think it's one of those things that will always stay consistent no matter what I've done. Um, I also think that, you know, there's a lot that's unwritten right now, but from what has been written in my past, like the moments that I was mentioning earlier with the girl in the vision board, um, like I really wanna be remembered for being somebody that others could look up to and say like, hey, I wanna go do stuff like her. Like I wanna go and be, um, be better and be, you know, more impactful to others around me. And then I think thirdly is probably, I really want to, I think, be remembered for having an open mind about others. Um, I think that's one of those things where I really am very self-critical, in fact, um, when somebody has said, you know, Natalie, that was a little closed-minded or like, like recently, to be quite vulnerable for a sec, 
like recently one of my friends was like, Natalie, you kind of white splained in that conversation. Like you kind of came in and like told other people about their culture. And I like hated on myself so hard for that. And I was like, I never want to be that person. Like I rather just shut up and be notorious for being quiet and letting the other person talk than sit there and be, you know, known for this big speech I gave. Um, so I think those are kind of the three things. Okay, definitely. And I, I know it's been a big thing for um, Justin and I that something that we've um, kind of practiced is that you have two two ears and one mouth and you use it in that proportion. So um, it's always been big for us that we, we've listened more than we speak. Um, and it's it's been grand for us going going forward. Um, so next, we're going to follow up with the second question. Um, in 100 years, right before everything disappears, you look on your shelf and you see your autobiography and you open to the first chapter of that biography, uh, autobiography. And that first chapter is your entire life up to this very second. What is the title of that first chapter? That's such a good question, yo. <laughs> um, I would say the glow up. Um, real talk, I like, like that. I like that. Um, because I was like a really shy kid. I suffered from anxiety my whole life, like social anxiety, the whole nine yards. Um, and one of my friends recently who I knew in high school and saw me in college, he actually knew me from like middle school. Like we've known each other since I was like 10. He's seen like the awkward years, the braces, the whole nine yards. Um, and he was like, like real talk, Natalie, like you're the glow up of our high school. And I remember that was like really impactful to me. Um, but it was also like, I, I think I really struggled a lot in being myself going forward. And I think I've finally gotten to the point where I feel comfortable being myself. And now I want to go execute the way that I want to do it. So I think that's what I would call it, the glow up. The glow up. I, <laughs> I like love that. it. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Finding yourself and then now it's time to execute. So maybe the next chapter is the execution. It's right in itself at this point. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. All right. So for question number three, um, a lot of my friends that are like in college and stuff, they still view LinkedIn as the sort of place you put your resume on and you just leave it there because your teachers tell you to do it. But what sort of advice would you tell all college students around the world if you had one minute to speak to them about LinkedIn? Yeah, um, every college student does that. And every college student will come to me and be like, I really check LinkedIn like every two weeks to see if a recruiter messaged me and no one messaged me. Um, I think the big thing is like, if you want that recruiter to message you, you really have to showcase that side of you that's not on your resume. Um, so yeah, you can put your resume on LinkedIn, but the way that I think I was able to really grow my following was I was vulnerable and I was able to talk about like, hey, I applied to 102 applications to get one job. Like that is how I was able to do that. It helps you get hired, first of all, because they're like, like, wow, she really is determined. She really wants to do this. But on another level, like LinkedIn is not just for getting a job. Like LinkedIn is for building a network. And I think college students are like, oh, network. Like, what the hell does that mean? Like, you know what I mean, though? Like, people are like, oh, should I go set up like an informational interview or ask for coffee or yeah. like whatever? All those words you hear in college, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's not about that. Like, honestly, the coolest people I've networked with are my age and younger. Like, I am a part of the Gen Z Foundation, and we're able to go and do these incredible conferences. 
and talk about like really important stuff like humanitarian crises and stuff like that. I'm the oldest person there most of the time. Like, I think we need to re like think what it means to network because I think we associate it with like, oh, I need to go meet a CEO. That's not what that means. And LinkedIn can help you do that. LinkedIn can help you go meet other people who want to do cool stuff and enable you to go do that cool stuff. Like I would have never been able to host that event at the Staples Center. Um, and even then I was just like helping, like I wasn't even hosting, I was just doing the organization part. Um, but that was something that I would have never been able to do if it wasn't for LinkedIn. Like that, that was an incredible experience that was enabled by my content. No, that's that's incredible, and I think you're right. Like the the whole when I remember going through because I I graduated same time as you did, um, going through college and hearing about networking, it was just like okay, hit up like someone in your industry, like have an informational with them, or like send emails, like keep in contact, like and it was always weird talking to someone who wasn't like in my age bracket or kind of just didn't grow up the way I did, and it was kind of hard to find those connecting things. I felt like I was just using them for you know, their, their position or their, um, their status. And when we've met with all the people that we've met through, through the podcast, we've bought, bonded over much larger things, much more personal things and made much more stronger and lasting, um, connections through that. So it's great. Um, so next question we have for you, if you can choose any country or culture that you'd like to, um, indulge yourself in and learn more about, which one would it be? It's interesting. When the first half of that question, I was like, oh, Hong Kong, easy answer. <laughs> um, but I know a lot about Hong Kong, so we don't need to learn more. <laughs> uh, I think one country or culture to learn more about, that's super interesting. Um, ooh, I think actually, um, ooh, that's a really hard one because it's hard because I do study culture a lot. So it's like there's there's a lot that I do know. I think the one that I struggle in and I think would be beneficial for me to force myself in more is probably European culture. Like having the Spanish roommate was a struggle bus sometimes. Like I love her, Elisa, if you're listening, I love you. But like her and I operate so differently. Like I'm so hustle and bustle. All I do is work. Most of my friends are through work. Like if I'm having a dinner with someone, we probably have worked on a project together. We probably have done something. Like I'm just not that type of person to just go and drink a glass of wine and just like socialize with people. But I think it's important like just on a human level to force yourself to learn and indulge in those types of cultures because it kind of makes you realize and question like why was I working so much, stuff like that. So follow up to that, would it be more it's a uh, just a, a whole Europe that you're interested in, or is it just the Iberian Peninsula? Um, that Probably you're... like, yeah. Like what's okay. funny is I'm actually Italian American, but I feel mm. like if I went to Italy, I'd be like effed. Like I'd be like, oh my God, you guys, <laughs> like y'all need to get it together. <laughs> what are we doing over here? <laughs> in Italy, um, I spent like when, since you had a Spanish roommate, I actually spent six months in uh, Madrid. Um, and oh, really? I, so I get that. I, I know what it's like to live over there and the pace. I personally, I loved it. I thought it was incredible. It was great for schooling. It was super relaxed. Loved it. Um, but I definitely get what you're saying there. Um, but I think you do well in Italy. I took some time there as well. And I definitely think you'd, you'd do all right. Uh, I maybe move a little faster than everyone, 100%, <laughs> but you'll, you'll do all right. 
Yeah, but I yeah, I think that for me it's more about like just challenging myself and like yeah. finding those ones that I'm like, oh, I would hate to go there. Like I would hate to like do that and then going and doing that thing that I hated and questioning not only myself, but also like, hey, do I want to incorporate some of this into my life? Because like Elisa, she did have a point. Like there are times when you do have to slow down and you do have to relax. And we had those conversations and I think I was better because of that. That's amazing. Just being so open-minded to like adopt certain aspects of things. So before we ask our last question, um, where can people connect with you? Where can they find you, whether it's Instagram, LinkedIn, wherever? Yeah, so LinkedIn's the obvious choice. Um, <laughs> my name is still my name. So it's Natalie Riso, R-I-S-O. It's actually the Italian word for rice because we were talking about it. Um, <laughs> and then also on Instagram. So it's N-A-T underscore R-I-S-O. That's my Instagram handle. Awesome. So last question. Are you ready? I feel so ready. So unbelievably ready. <laughs> what is the question that you wish that we asked you? Um, I think you guys asked a lot about stuff that wasn't related to LinkedIn and some stuff that was related to LinkedIn as well in terms of like content and stuff like that. Um, but I think the one question we focused a lot on students, but what do you do after college? Like what happens then, you know? And I think I'm dealing with that right now of like, I was really successful in college, but then there kind of came this moment of like, I'm the bottom of the barrel again. Um, you know, I'm starting off my career. Everybody kind of views me that way. I wasn't an entrepreneur. Um, so I don't have some company to say I'm the CEO or the founder of. Um, and I think a lot of students struggle with that where they'll be like, oh, like I'm really into LinkedIn and then they get a job and then they're like, I'm done. Like, I don't need to do this anymore. I don't need a personal brand. I'm employed. I have a salary, which is great. Not, not knocking the salary. That's great. <laughs> um, and I think the answer to that is like, you should be creating content that really is something that you're actually passionate about. Like my content, yeah, I talk about social media. I talk about LinkedIn. But like, I talk about humanitarian work because when I die or when I get, you know, when I'm possibly move on from this company, when I retire, whatever, like I will still be passionate about that. And I want people to know me for that professionally. Um, so I think that's the one thing that like, I think a lot of people will look kind of back at the journey and be like, oh, like you did all this stuff, but like, how do you translate that into now? Um, you know, I had all these different internships. I had 10 positions in college on top of being a student. How do you translate that into something that you can actually do going forward? Um, and I think that's, you know, ultimately it's a case by case basis, but ultimately you really have to be passionate about it. Like when you start working, I say I have a nine to seven job, but really like, like yes, the last three days I've worked from 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. just on Studio 71 stuff. Um, and then on top of that, I have the, I have an event next week that I'm marketing for. I have all these different things. Um, but it's one of those things where like I'm doing that at 2 a.m. because I'm really passionate about it. Like I'm not doing it to like half-ass it or to put it on my resume anymore. And I think a lot of students feel that way. They're like, oh, just put it on your resume. And it's like, no, find, find the shit that you want to do at two in the morning when it has no benefit to you. Um, so I think that's like the one thing that I wish I kind of spoke more about. But yeah. 
Definitely, I definitely think you, you got to it there. Um, it's a great <laughs> knowledge you drop right there. Um, but I want to take this, this uh, second to um, extend a get your grind up young and dumb thank you um, for, you know, taking the time out of your super busy day, um, coming onto the podcast and, you know, having some fun with us. Yeah, absolutely. This was awesome. Seriously, you guys asked like genuinely really, really good questions. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> much appreciated much appreciated um and for all of you listening out there if you want to learn a little bit more about natalie you can hop on our website getyourgrindup.com or follow us on social instagram twitter and facebook at get your grind up we will be back next week with another episode of the young and dumb podcast always remember we are all young and dumb and never forget get your grind up we'll see you guys soon peace peace